Okay, here we go. Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I have two lovely women on with me today, plus a baby, a newborn. (laughs) Rita is here with her newborn rocking and swaying. So Rita Rogers and Cecily Dickey from the Boom Clap podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Really excited to be here. Yeah, so excited to have you. This is kind of a random whim, but I had (laughs) seen a video that you posted about basically like a robotic woman who (laughs) was granted rights in... I think Saudi Arabia granted citizenship and the rights that came with it. And, you know, this question about should robots be given personhood? And this is just a path that I've gone down over the past several years because of books that I've read. And I don't really have anyone to talk about with it because (laughs) some of the books that I've read, I've reached out to the authors to ask to be on the podcast. Some of the authors I have passed away. So mm. whether it's that or the other authors have just said no. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I saw you post about this transhumanism, the Neuralink, Elon Musk, all of this stuff that's mm-hmm. changing. And I reached out to see if you would come on to talk about it. And you said yes. So thank you. Yeah, no, I feel like uh, this 1000 hours outside community is very much our kind of community. Rita and I both homeschool. We really believe in being outdoors. And yet we also have this weird fascination with weird topics like transhumanism. (laughs) So we've done a couple episodes on it ourselves, And we talk about just her and I like over Voxer, we talk about this sort of stuff all the time. So you've been looking for someone to talk to you have found your girls like this is this is the kind of stuff we love. Yeah, it's super interesting. I think it's definitely something to be aware of. But before we get there, I'd love for you to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about you and the Boom Clap podcast. You can go first, Rita. Yeah, so my name is Rita Rogers. I live in central Illinois uh, with my husband and two daughters who are 12 and nine. And then this newborn little bundle of joy. He is six weeks tomorrow. So and you can hear him probably making a little noise right now. But anyway, I started this podcast with Cecily. I think we're going on what, two and a half, two and a half Just over two years. Just over two years. Yeah. Yeah. But I was a ICU nurse for a long time, a cardiovascular ICU nurse for 15 years. I lost my job in 2021 due to complications with the um, rollout of the vaccine. I hope that's not controversial to mention on your podcast, but you know, everybody has their feelings about it. And I wasn't willing to uh, do some of those things. And the platform grew as I talked about those things. And Cecily approached me, we had had some ventures together before. And she's like, you know, we should start a podcast. And so we did. And really, um, we talk about cultural issues as they relate back to our values, things going on in the world that people aren't thinking about like transhumanism. I mean, it's something people are not thinking about and talking about, but should be because it's coming down the pike. And that's just a little bit about the podcast. Also, my husband's a farmer. We live in the middle of nowhere and likewise really enjoy being outdoors. That's what attracted me to you. And I think I found you through the 2020 start of that Mm. fiasco. (laughs) And I am Cecily. I live in British Columbia, Canada. And uh, yeah, fun fact, Rita and I have never met in person. We were going to meet in actually March, 2020. And then (laughs) that fell apart because uh, cross-country travel became really, really difficult or inter-country travel, I should say. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm married. I have a husband named Kyle and three kids. And my husband's a public school teacher and we homeschool, which people always think is really ridiculous. But I mean, we homeschool for a reason and my husband is 100% on board, if that tells you anything. And uh, yeah, we live on a small farm, like a hobby farm. We have pigs, we have ducks, we have chickens, we have cows, we have massive gardens. We love living the outdoor life as well, growing our food and enjoying time with our family. And yeah, when Rita and I connected years ago, which is crazy to think about, that's been years already. Mm-hmm. We we had um, mutual interests and mutual experiences. I come from a nursing background as well. And I, I released my license in 2020 and have moved on to other ventures since then. So yeah, and she kind of described the podcast really well. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. So people can check that out. There's a lot of episodes on there. And two in particular that really talk about what we're talking about today, this thing of transhumanism. So my story is that I love to read. And I came across Nicholas Carderis. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, He's a PhD. 
and he wrote a book years ago called Glow Kids. And Glow Kids is mm -hmm. about how screens really are harming our children. Mm -hmm. So he said that for a while, people were unsure, is this really matter? And he goes through the science behind all of it and the addiction and all of those things. So then he wrote about six years later, a follow-up book called Digital Madness, which came out last year. He's been on our podcast to talk about both books. And Digital Madness is a phenomenal book where he basically he's talking about the response. Now that we know that these things are addictive and his is more about social media, what should our response be? So it's a great book. And at the end of the book, he starts talking about AI and transhumanism and virtual reality glasses for cows so that they think they're in a field and they produce more <gasps> milk. Oh my goodness. And what he talks about, and this is the piece that I sort of always wondered, is if I was super rich, like an Elon Musk or a Bill Gates or the Facebook guy, well, I can't think of his name. Anyway, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, yeah. Mark, yeah, Zuckerberg. If I was super rich, I would just be like throwing parties all the time. Do you ever think about like what you would do? I would love to have like real <laughs> estate all over the world. I would invite friends. You know, you, I, we would give to charities yes. and I would quit. <laughs> I would quit. Yeah. I'd be like, look, if I've got this much money, I would quit. So always we had this thought of like, why are they still working? You know, same thing with Amazon. Like, why is Jeff Bezos, why is he still working? Just go like live your life and enjoy it. And Carderis touches on that in his book that he says it's basically becomes like a God complex and that yes. these tech gurus are trying to live forever. That's really sort of the basis mm -hmm. of it. So that's what I read out of his, and it took me down a reading rabbit hole toward a book called The Singularity by Ray Kurzweil, who my husband said I shouldn't ask to be on the podcast. At, I don't know. <laughs> um, and then this guy named Jerry Kaplan, who wrote a book called Humans Need Not Apply about the rise of artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. And he wouldn't be on our podcast. He said he was too busy, so that's okay. And I've just read all these different books about these topics, and I've had no one to talk about with it. So here we go. <laughs> with you yeah. two. So tell me what initially interested you in, so two questions, what initially interested you about the topic and what are some of your main concerns or things that you're seeing? Well, for me, the, the, not the first thing, but I would say the main thing that really piqued my interest is I can't remember why Rita and I even started talking about stuff like this. This is just the kind of friendship we have. We find the most obscure things possible and like go down these deep, deep, deep rabbit holes. So I don't know what brought it up in the first place, but I ended up stumbling across an article from Government of Canada website called Good Morning Biodigital. And when I read through that, coming from my government, I couldn't believe the way that they were looking at this very artificial future in a very positive light. And I just love thinking about these things philosophically. You know, I think there's so much that can be gained from having these philosophical conversations while realizing that for a lot of people, philosophy just lives in the mind. However, these things are very practical and actually happening in our everyday lives. And I was reading this morning, actually, about how a lot of these people with these transhumanist views you know, they've always had this fascination with space and getting humans to space. And yes, like you said, living forever. And I think that a lot of that comes from, like you said, a God complex and also this underlying fear that they are not God. And mm. so they're trying to do everything they can to get themselves to the position of God so that they can live forever, whether that's in a biological form, which we all know is not possible, or in some sort of digital form, which is what many of them are going towards. So mm -hmm. I just think as a mother who's homeschooling my kids to instill my values in them and to raise them to be strong, confident, happy, healthy individuals with a strong grounding, it's uh, really important to be aware of this. I read this morning, I think I was going here earlier and then got sidetracked with my own thoughts, but they figure that these merging of humans with technology will be widespread by the end of this century, but many are thinking it will actually be in the first third of this century, which we're rapidly approaching. Mm -hmm. So very interesting, but I just have to comment really quickly on, I forget which book you said it was, but the cows in the field with the glasses on so that they'll produce more milk. That mm -hmm. is insane to me. And it's something we talked about in one of the episodes that we sent you on transhumanism, our most recent one, where obviously for cows, they're not going to be able to determine that this is 
not reality. Whereas humans, we should be able to determine that it's just an augmented perception of reality and not a change in reality itself. And isn't it interesting how we're trying to manipulate nature to the point that we're pretending cows are in fields so that they'll produce more milk, trying to go against nature in order to try to extract more from it. Yeah. Yeah. So Cecily had sent me that policy horizons page that she was talking about. That was our first dive into this topic together. And when she sent me that, like, isn't this crazy? You know, I'm like, oh yeah, DARPA, um, you know, the United States Department of Defense has an arm that has been researching this, this stuff for years. Um, CRISPR technology, all of these things have been around. And so I'm like, yeah, let's talk about this because people need to know about it. And for me, I just think that so much of what we see, you know, if you're on social media, you see people talking about, quote, controversial topics all the time, trying to change the way culture is going and drive it a different direction, because we're going a direction that's very uh, different than what a lot of us uh, would say we value. But we're always behind the curve, in my opinion. You know, when people are willing to talk about things, by the time I'm not a weirdo talking about <laughs> something, you know, it's too late. We're already mm. there. And now we're trying yeah. to backpedal. And so with transhumanism and biodigital, you know, these things are, like Cecily said, already here. Yeah. And we're already experiencing some of those technologies in our lives being used with humans, but we don't even realize it because it's such a slow boil, mm -hmm. you know, and um, by the time it's actually here full force, we don't have time for ourselves to think about it, to be able to interact and yeah. choose wisely how we interact, right? We need to be able to use wisdom in how we accept and uptake or don't accept and uptake these new technologies. And if we want mm -hmm. to do that, we need to be talking about it now, not yeah. when it's right in our face. Yeah. It's interesting. The books that I've read, The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil. I mean, he really talks about biological bodies 2.0, that we're going to be able to reverse age, all of mm -hmm. these different things. And he's mm -hmm. sort of, um, he's someone that has been projecting out into the future for a long time and at a fairly high rate of accuracy. And then some things are absolutely off. So in his book, he's talking about that, that we're going to hit this point where we don't even, we can't even distinguish between virtual reality and real life. So these books are talking about kind of what's going on in the digital madness, talking about AI and, and also the humans need not apply. The robots are coming. They're going to take over your jobs. This is what mm -hmm. it's going to look like. But there is a book about philosophy, about the, I think the philosophical part of it all that was actually written in the eighties. So long before the computers called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And oh, I actually yeah. think it's probably one of the best books out there by Neil Postman. I've tried to get in mm -hmm. contact with his son because his son's written, his son is still alive. His name's Andrew, but I haven't had any success there. But in that book, he talks about the, like what happens when we live in a culture where everything is all about amusement and what happens to mm -hmm. ourselves. And he kind of likens it to, we're all looking for Big Brother. We're all kind of unaware un of the 1984, that type of thing. But he talks about, Hugsley. And with Hugsley, it's about how we just, like you said, we're like the frog yeah. in the pot of water that he says, there's no reason to ban a book because no one's reading anymore. And mm -hmm. we've sort of just learned to love our oppression. That's what he says. Yes. So it reminded me, Cecily, of the Good Morning Biodigital mm -hmm. article that you read yeah. on your podcast, which I don't know if you have it with you. Bring it up. But it, it's... I mean, it's long and people could go back. You read the whole thing on your podcast and you have the link to it in your podcast as well. Mm -hmm. But just this thought of, and maybe you could read a couple parts of it. Sure. It really reminds me of this amusing ourselves to death that we're just yeah. slowly sinking into this odd world, but loving it. Yeah. So I'm just bringing it up right now and I'll, I'll start reading it and you can tell me when you want me to stop. But interestingly, that Neil Postman book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Rita and I once did a whole episode called Orwell versus Huxley, wow. because yeah. I mean, Postman just really laid it out so well. And while I think there's elements of truth to both, you know, the predictions in 1984 and the predictions from A Brave New World. I really think we're kind of landing more on the brave new world side as far as, yes, our amusements, our comforts are becoming an oppression that we have grown to love, which is really interesting, but also really sad. Okay, so I have the Good Morning Biodigital article here. Ginny, just stop me whenever you think it's been okay. enough, okay? All right. All right. I wake up to the sunlight and salty coastal air of the Adriatic Sea. 
I don't live anywhere near the Mediterranean, but my AI, which is also my health advisor, has prescribed a specific air quality, scent, and solar intensity to manage my energy levels in the morning and has programmed my bedroom to mimic this climate. The fresh bed sheets grown in my building from regenerating fungi are better than I imagined. I feel rested and ready for the day. I need to check a few things before I get up. I send a brain message to open the app that controls my insulin levels and make sure my pancreas is optimally supported. I can't imagine having to inject myself with needles like my mother did when she was a child. Now it's a microbe transplant that auto adjusts and reports on my levels. Everything looks all right, so I check my brain's digital interface to read the dream data that was recorded and processed in real time last night. My therapy app analyzes the emotional responses I expressed while I slept. It suggests I take a t- I take time to be in nature this week, to reflect on my recurring trapped-in-a-box dream and enhance helpful subconscious neural activity. My AI recommends a forest day. I think, okay, and my AI and neural implant do the rest. The summary of my bug bot surveillance footage shows that my apartment was safe from intruders, including other bug bots last night. But it does notify me that my herd of little cyber dragonflies are hungry. They've been working hard collecting data and monitoring the outside environment all night, but the number of mosquitoes and lime-carrying ticks they normally hunt to replenish their energy was smaller than expected. With a thought, I order some nutrient support for them. My feet hit the regenerative carpet, and I grab a bathrobe, although I don't need it for warmth. My apartment is gradually warming up to a comfortable 22 degrees as it cycles through a constantly shifting daily routine that keeps me in balance with the time of day and season. Building codes and home energy infrastructure are synchronized and require all homes be auto-regulated for efficiency. Because houses and buildings are biomimetic and incorporate living systems for climate control wherever possible, they are continuously filtering the air and capturing carbon. I check my carbon offset measure to see how much credit I will receive for my home's contribution to the government's climate change mitigation program. As I head to the bathroom, I pause at the window to check the accelerated growth of the neighboring building. Biological architecture has reached new heights, and the synthetic tree compounds are growing taller each day. To ensure that the building can withstand even the strongest winds and to reduce swaying for residences on the top floors, a robotic 3D printer is clambering around the emerging structure and adding carbon-reinforced biopolymer, strengthening critical stress points identified by its AI-supported sensor array. I am glad they decided to tree the roof of this building with fire-resistant, genetically modified red cedar since urban forest fires have become a concern. While I'm brushing my teeth, Jamie, my personal AI, asks if I'd like a delivery drone to come pick up my daughter's baby tooth, which fell out two days ago. The epigenetic markers in children's teeth have to be analyzed and cataloged on our family genetic blockchain in order to qualify for the open health rebate, so I need that done today. I replaced the smart sticker that monitors my blood chemistry, lymphatic system, and organ function in real time. It's hard to imagine the cost and suffering that people must have endured before personalized preventative medicine became common. Also, I'll admit that it sounds gross, but it's a good thing the municipality samples our fecal matter from the sewage pipes. It's part of the platform to analyze data on nutritional diversity, gut bacteria, and antibiotic use to aid with public health screening and fight antibiotic-resistant strains of bacterial infections. Supposedly, the next download for my smart sink will allow me to choose a personalized biotic mix for my dechlorinated drinking water. <laughs> I'm just, sorry. It's wild. No, it keeps baby going. Noises go, yeah, baby okay. noises are here. I'm sorry. Baby it's noises so are great. Baby noises are <laughs> yeah. great. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember to sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to 
factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. It's just such an, it's such a mind blowing thing because you see that some of it's already happening. You see how quickly it could get there. And that's one of the things that Ray Kurzweil talks about is that technology has been doubling. It's this exponential rate of growth and Mm -hmm. doubling for however long with no end in sight. And so I think what happens is all, you can't really imagine what it will be. And then all of a sudden it's here. Yes. Like how could there be any more technology than there already is? And then you blink and it's here. And this article gives rise to that. So there's a couple things that I know you talked about in your podcast that I noticed about Mm -hmm. it too, but a lot of it seems to stem off of fear. Absolutely. And fear of our biological bodies. I mean, even Mm -hmm. just this, where it says it's hard to imagine the costs and suffering that people must have endured before personalized preventative medicine became common. And certainly there are, there is a lot of suffering and there is a lot of cost, but not all the time and not Mm -hmm. for everyone all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and talking about that there's this component. And I think that when you look at Elon's Neuralink, that it always is about Alzheimer's and dementia. And they seem to start there and capitalize there on the fear of aging. Is that sort of your thoughts on how how are they going to sell it? Yeah, I feel like that's with any major change that we ever see in society. It starts with playing on on the fear that people have, right? Mm-hmm. And what is everyone, well, I shouldn't say everyone, but the majority of the people, the big bulk of people, their biggest fear is suffering and death because it comes with this big, huge question mark, this giant unknown. And um, this fear of like, what would it mean to not exist on the only planet that I've ever known. I can see that that is scary. It's not as scary for me because as Rita and I were saying to you before we started recording, really this conversation and why it's so important, it does boil down to worldview. And when you come from the worldview I have as a Christian, you don't have as much fear of death because you believe the best is yet to come. And that's what really, you know, it's easy to think of these people in a sense as villains. But for me, coming from the worldview that I come from, when I see how much fear there is driving this whole movement, it actually makes me feel a great deal of compassion for them because Mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine having to face each day with that fear of death, with that fear of suffering. I really believe that suffering is what produces character in humanity. And I, like I said, I believe that the best is yet to come after death. But Yeah, I just, I really choose instead of looking at them as villains, I choose to look at them with compassion while still realizing that we need to make sure that people are aware of what is being planned so that people can prepare themselves. Right. There's even the, I don't totally know the word, if it's cryotherapy or it's like you freeze your body. And Mm -hmm. so there's this thought of some of the wealthiest, most prominent people would freeze their body so that it could last long enough. So that when they become this merger of biological and digital, that they can still be here and still be a part of what's going on. And in the singularity, I mean, that's a lot what Ray talks about, which is trying to make it to that point, right? 
Yeah. I think it's important that you mention wealth as well, because I was reading on a website this morning in preparation for this about what people can do if they want to prepare themselves to take on a transhumanism. Like they are looking forward to being able to opt into that. And here's some of the things they said. Number one, live healthy and avoid unnecessary risks. Number two, sign up for cryonics, like you just mentioned. Three, keep abreast of current research. And then here's the really interesting part and save money so that Mm. you can afford future life extension treatments when they become available. And then it says support the development of transhuman technology through donations and advocacy. So you can see, and this is something that Rita and I have talked about with Steve Kim on our episode on transhumanism, that it really is going to create more of a two-tier society as far as like Mm. the haves and the have-nots, those who can afford to pursue this technology and those who cannot, which is really interesting when you think of the fact that we live in this society, in this culture that is seeking not equality, but equity on every single front. And yet we're going to move ourselves towards more inequity not that they would really ever admit that um, because they really are searching for a utopia. That's what they're trying to do. But really interesting is that in that biodigital article that I read, I don't know if you guys picked up on the fact that she had bug bots that were searching for intruders and other dangers. And it's like, okay, so we're here we are in this supposed utopia, yet we have bug bots that are still surveilling for intruders and problems because no matter how advanced we get, we are still living in a fallen world and we will never reach utopia. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the point. Well, even even just when we talk about the fear and it says, of course, it says the lime carrying ticks, uh-huh. you know, the mosquitoes, uh-huh. you know, these things that we're afraid of and trying to yeah. control it all. Another thing, obviously, that sticks out from the article is this drive for comfort. And Michael Easter wrote the book called The Comfort Crisis. It's really uh-huh. opened my eyes as a parent to, you know, I do think that we're in this realm of life where we're trying to shelter our kids, we're trying to make everything easy, no one's going to get a bad grade, no one's going to ever fall Mm -hmm. and get hurt. We're trying to keep them completely comfortable physically, Mm -hmm. but in the long run, that leads to a lot more risks. But that's something that you talked about as well, which is like this obsession with being comfortable and in the perfect climate, and it's going to guide our bodies through the day, you know, we're never cold. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you can easily see from even just reading a little bit of that biodigital article that it's very clear that if you lived in that environment where everything was catered to you, all you had to do is think and you could be in a different environment in your mind or you could have the perfect temperature at all times or uh, your fridge would produce your food for you. You can see how easy it would become to become dependent on that, right? It seems like it's human nature to get used to our comforts and then never let them go, right? And I say that as someone who's very comfortable myself, like I don't like to be freezing cold. I don't like to not have food, you know, all of these things. So I can see that it would be very easy to become completely addicted to that comfort because I'm addicted to some comforts already, if I'm being honest, right? So you can just imagine how once these things are happening, it's going to be very easy to adopt it as this is what everyone does. So this is what I do too. And I don't have to feel weird about it because this is just normal, which is a foreign concept. Mm -hmm. If if we think of our ancestors, it would just be like, what? Like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's alluring. Yeah, coming at it, though, from like the perspective of how does this affect us and impact our quality of life, you know, would pleasure be at its peak be as Mm -hmm. good if we Mm -hmm. don't have those troughs, you know, and I just think about, you know, I'm holding this lovely baby right now. And I love him so much. And I'm so thankful for him. But if we hadn't, if, if it was a guarantee, if babies were a guarantee, and if you know, like we had a loss, we had a loss last year. And this is just what I'm thinking of, you know, if this baby was a guarantee, and there was no heartache that ever went along with anything, would there be as much appreciation for what we have? And so when everything's comfortable, when everything's a complete guarantee, you know, if babies weren't miracles, would we appreciate it so much? Mm -hmm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. right. Like everything is given meaning by its opposite. Like what is joy? There's no context for understanding what joy is without having some understanding of what suffering is, right? There's no understanding of what evil is without some understanding of good or vice versa. 
And when we talk about, like, if we talk about eliminating suffering also and phasing out suffering, this is what a lot of it boils down to. Like you said, Cecily, utopia and eliminating suffering. But right before I got on here, I came downstairs to get on my computer because I hadn't been on it for the last four weeks or so. Right. Mm -hmm. And it wanted to update my Zoom and it kept failing over and over at 9.30. We were recording at 10. So it took me 45 minutes to get my Zoom updated. That is something that should have been like a two minute process. And so what I'm saying is technology is not infallible and we're replacing potentially pains of, we might be eliminating human suffering, but we're going to replace it with a technological suffering Mm -hmm. because technology doesn't come without risk and doesn't come without failure. And we may just be trading one for the other, right? Right. And it seems like mental suffering too. I mean, this Absolutely. is not our ideal way to live. I just talked to Jill Winger. She has a book coming out about old fashioned on purpose. And she was talking about how when we work with our hands, that it helps oh, yeah. with depression. So that was an interesting thing, like drawn to mm-hmm. how life used to be. You would knit at night, you know, the fireplace, mm-hmm. or you would do some needlework or things like cooking, all of those things working with your hands. And so if you have these machines, I do it for you. What's interesting to me, here's what I think. It's sold to us, right? It's sold to us as out of fear, your health. It's sold to us as you're going to be so comfortable. That is alluring. And Michael Easter talks about that in his book about Mm -hmm. how we are driven for comfort because it used to be that we had limited resources. And so we couldn't have all this output all the time. So our bodies are naturally drawn to be comfortable. So it's sold to us. But in the end, what ends up happening is we are under complete control. Right. Absolutely. Our stool samples are being monitored on a day to day basis. And we're having to send in our tooth from our kids. Yes. In order. So it's just when you look at it from those two perspectives. So if you go back to Postman, and I just highly recommend that book, it's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. It's literally from 1983, before computers, before the internet. And yet it gives you so much to think about. He says at the end, He says, no medium is excessively dangerous if its users understand what its Mm. dangers are. He says, to ask is to break the spell. So I love what you're doing on the Boom Clap podcast because you're talking about it. You're asking the questions and that breaks the spell. So if we're talking about our kids, Mm -hmm. I think that it is a big issue. It wasn't so much 10 years ago or five years ago. It's a big issue that kids are not outside and that they're on screens for four to seven hours a day. And they're outside. The average is four to seven minutes. That's what the National Wildlife Federation had come out with a couple, uh, probably a decade ago. I think that statistic was out. So how do you think that that imbalance plays into the adoption of things like this? Well, I mean, I think a lot of it it comes from parental fear too. Like it can be scary to watch your kid climbing a tree or to climbing on a, today we're going to like a wild play adventure park. And I'm sure it's going to be really nerve wracking to watch my kids go up however high in the air to do these activities. But the thing is, that's what grows them. Right. And I was thinking about transhumanism in relation to your podcast and your audience. And I don't think it matters to any group of people more than it matters to parents. Mm -hmm. At least it shouldn't. Because what do we know? We know for sure scientific evidence has shown that screens, social media, TV, all of these things, and it might sound alarmist to say harmful, but they are harmful to children when used in excess. Like they absolutely are. And what else do we know for sure? We know for sure that children benefit from being outside in creation. Like there is no evidence that says that that's a bad thing. Everything says that it's good. And you don't even need to read scientific studies to know it. All you have to do is to know a child and to watch how they thrive when they have time to be outdoors and to watch how they shrink in on themselves and become questioning and confusing and confused, I should say, when they are stuck in a world that isn't real, right? Mm -hmm. We are actually creatures. As humans, we are creatures. We are creators as well. When we think of like, we can create art and we can create works of literature and we can create all sorts of things, but we cannot create life outside of like, you know, a husband and a wife creating a child together. But still, there is an external force that's making that possible. We cannot create life. We cannot create ourselves because we are part of creation. And that's why we need our kids to be outdoors. That's why we need to be outdoors because we are part of creation. And we are not fully human unless, I mean, we we are. I shouldn't say we're not, but 
symbolically, we're not fully human unless we're immersing ourselves into the creation that we're a part of. I just really, really, truly believe that. Yeah. And as far as, you know, parental fear, like I was saying at the beginning, it's become normal for us to use screens as babysitters. I don't mean us as in us sitting here, but in general, people to use screens as babysitters to let that be the safe place so that we don't have to constantly be vigilant. So it will be easy for parents to adopt all of these technologies if we're not willing to do the hard work yeah. of saying no yeah. and truly parenting. Absolutely. Yeah. And for our kids, right? It's like, I think that this is the slippery slope, then they're used to it. If they're only outside yeah. for four to seven minutes a day, but they're on their screen for four to seven hours, this is an easy adoption for whoever mm -hmm. wants to push it down. And so I think that's an additional reason why I want to get our kids outside and off screens is so that they have that baseline knowledge of what that's like. And yes. it's interesting, there's this book, um, Dr. Jean Twangy, she talks about generational changes. And so one of the things she says is that uh, Gen X or millennials, and probably really millennials, so born in 1981 or 1982 till 1995, that they're, she calls them the first and the last. So <laughs> they're the last to have had an analog childhood. Mm -hmm. And the kids that have, are born after that 1995 and later, they have no understanding of that, that television is only on for part of the time and shows change and and that type of thing. And then they're also, so they're the, the last to have an analog childhood, the first to be part of this technological age as it mm -hmm. stands now. And so we have these kids that if not for the choices that we make, and like you say, Cecily, it's not easy. It is not easy to get your kids mm -hmm. outside. You have to pack stuff. You have to have the band-aids. You've got little ones. You've got yeah. to get the right clothes. No one else is outside. So you have to make friends with other people so that you can meet up. It's a tall task, but it is giving our kids what everyone else had before us, which is That's right. an analog childhood that otherwise they wouldn't experience. So mm -hmm. Rita, did you have something to say about it? Well, I was just going to say to Cecily's comment that we can't create life. Yuval Noah Harari would disagree with you, who's yeah. a transhuman, as he's trying to, quote, create life. Yeah. But just experiential wise, um, my experience with this at my kids school because we homeschool now but this is our first year homeschooling prior to this my kids went to a small uh, montessori christian school and i volunteer taught pe to the kids and just in that school the children watching the differences in them based on like you said the choices their parents were making there's a physical and psychological component to sitting on a screen all day mm -hmm. and these kids, you know, you said keeping them safe, but we want to shelter them and keep them safe. And they were physically kept safe from getting an arm broken or a scratch, but they weren't physically kept safe from the sedentary lifestyle of sitting Which on a screen all day. So much more dangerous. Absolutely. And yeah. they weren't physically kept safe from the psychological standpoint of constant worry and anxiety of being injured. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of these kids, I break out a dodgeball and they would tell me how they're going to get a head injury and be concerned because, oh, wow. you know, their parents had coddled them to the degree of, you know, anxiety. Mm -hmm. And one thing, Cecily, you had read from the Policy Horizons, mm -hmm. um, you know, that reading you did about yeah. what life would look like. And I think this part actually came from the World Economic Forum, which they had a similar write-up. But mm -hmm. there was a quote in there that says, when AI and robots took over so much of what our work was, suddenly we had time to eat while sleep while spend time um, with other people. So when AI and robots took over, their work shifted and they all of a sudden had time now to eat well, sleep well and spend time with others. But really think about it. That's like pushing it further down the pike when we have all this technology doing all the things for us. But right now we have phones in our hands and screens in front of our faces and we do have more time. We have yeah. tractors that drive themselves instead of, you know, a plow that you have to have horses hitched up to. Mm -hmm. And do we eat better, sleep better, or spend more time with other people? No, we don't do Good any point. of those as technology has advanced, we do less of those things than we once mm. did. So it's interesting that they're trying to sell it as more time to do the things to take care of ourselves well, but history has proven that we will do the opposite. Wow. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. I think that's in one of Carderis's books where he said, if my great grandmother showed up and she was like, you have a washing machine, you have a dishwasher, <laughs> yes. you know, you have all these things, you have running water and, mm -hmm. you know, how come you don't have enough time? But we, yeah, it's true. And the technology is not fixing those human problems. I think one of the interesting things that you talk about and 
it's something that I don't totally have a, a solid answer to, but it's this, like, what does it mean to be, I mean, I, I do, I have, I have my thoughts on it, but like, what does it mean to be human? I think what's tricky about it is that the people who are running all the things, they'll come in and be like, well, look, we can make this robot ha- show emotion. And they're trying to grasp all these pieces right of what someone might like flippant say, well, it's human if you are this, if it's human if you can experience love and show love and and then they'll say, well, the, the robot can do it or or whatever. So what do you think that boils down to? Yeah. It's a big question. Yeah, and I don't even know if I'm going to answer this right. But when I think about the fact that robots, all AI, really, It needs to be programmed by humans. All it can do is be programmed by humans. All it can do is uptake data that humans are putting out into the world. That's all it can do. And yes, that's a lot of data. Like a robot or AI can hold much more data inside their chips than we can hold in our brains. That is true. But all the data they hold, it comes from humans. And when we have questions of like, well, what does it mean to be human? Well, a robot is going to get its idea of what it means to be human from the humans that have given it the data. Or when we ask a robot, what is love? Well, we're going to get the idea from the humans who have programmed the robot about what is love, what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. This is not coming from the robot's own mind. This is coming from the minds of humans, a great breadth of data. But like we've said before, you know, in countries like China, even in countries now, unfortunately, like Canada, where we have internet censorship, (laughs) it's uh, what a robot and what AI can take in is becoming more and more limited by the very powerful people that believe that their information is the okay information for the world to have. Mm. So really, if we do end up being a society that is transhuman, that is run by robots and AI, our society is only going to believe that what's good and bad, right and wrong is what the most powerful people, the people that are in control say is good and bad and right and wrong. And to be human is much more complex than that. You know, this is why worldview is so important. And I really think that a majority of population, they don't really think about worldview, right? They just, they don't think about their own worldview. They have their beliefs but they don't think about it deeply. But these are the most important questions that we can ask ourselves. Why are we here? Why Mm -hmm. are we human? How did we get here, right? Those are the most important questions that we can and should be asking ourselves because those questions point to truth, right? Mm -hmm. And truth is what corresponds with reality. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be asking ourselves these questions. And it's much like being addicted to comfort. Well, it's not comfortable to ask these questions. It's Mm. not comfortable to make ourselves, especially in a social media world where we scroll and we see quick videos and quick bits and captions. It's not comfortable to think about these really deep, important questions. But as we're raising our children, we owe it to them to ask these big questions because otherwise the future is out of our hands. And I don't choose to live in a world like that. I choose to live in a world where I'm the one asking the questions and guiding my children. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. 
Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. Mm-hmm. And that's what Postman says to ask yes. is to break the spell. And I think right. that's really powerful because it does feel a lot like we're powerless and mm-hmm. things are thrown around like Luddite. And there is this sense that you are less than if you are not adopting all of these different things mm-hmm. and questioning mm-hmm. some of the certain things. I think on Ray Kurzweil has got a, a website and on there he talks about, there was this article about this robot called Brett, and it's from Berkeley. It stands for, it's like an acronym, the Berkeley Robot for the Elimination of Tedious Tasks. What a great name. Like, don't we all want to eliminate tedious tasks? Yeah. Well, this robot can learn. And that's, you know, it, it's like mm-hmm. the the AI and the technology is, is starting to take on as many qualities yes. of being as human as possible. Even, you know, it's made out of silicone and it's got 92,000 things that move and it's going to start to look and act and feel like that. But what's interesting is that one of the things that comes up is that one of the things that makes us human is our limitations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Cecily had mentioned that robots can only do what humans have input. And like you said, these robots are getting to the point that they can learn. And Mm -hmm. so the inputs initially will come from humans, but there's going to be a point where there's some somewhat of a takeover. Like an evolution of their thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We talked about that with Steve Kim, that limits can be a gift. Mm -hmm. And like we said earlier about phasing out suffering, you know, talking through that, some of the suffering is a limit, right? And that can be a gift. Think about hunger cues. Those are painful, right? Mm -hmm. But those Mm -hmm. are there to protect us, correct? Mm -hmm. And so if we eliminate some of these things, I was listening to a podcast. It was a Christian transhuman podcast. um, And they were- There's something for everyone out there, isn't there? (laughs) Uh, It was very interesting. I didn't get the Christian aspect of it at all during the episodes (laughs) I was listening to, but it was just very interesting. Like you said, Jenny, nobody- to talk to about these things. And so mm-hmm. you seek out these weird, obscure, you know, <laughs> things just to listen to, because it's interesting to think about and know what's out there. Because if we're not talking about it, there are other people talking about it for us. And mm-hmm. this will come to us for us. And then we either uptake it or it's just shoved down our throats, but we haven't had time to think about it. But anyways, where was I going with this? Oh, on this podcast, they were talking about phasing out suffering. And I was just thinking about, well, because he was talking about eliminating pain and using CRISPR technology, which if you guys don't know about CRISPR technology, it's basically gene editing where you take out portions of a gene and fill it in with whatever you want. And I think in China, there were twins born. This may have been, Cecily, do you remember if it was like five years ago or? I don't remember. I don't remember, but there were twins born where a scientist had taken it upon himself to eliminate um, the ability. It, It basically made them immune to HIV. And he was kind of taken someone, the government, I don't remember if it was the government or who, but he was taken to task for this because they were basically saying like, we don't know anything about this technology to the point of like editing humans with it. We don't know if this is okay. We've been editing plants and things, but editing humans is a whole other deal. But this gentleman on the podcast for Christian transhumanism was talking about eliminating pain and eliminating the pain response and making people more resistant. And I was like, well, that sounds nice to not have pain, 
But what are the implications of that? You know, if you don't feel touching something that's hot, Mm -hmm. that's going to be harmful to you. If you don't have a cue to say you're hungry, that's harmful. And Mm -hmm. so there's implications on both sides, right? Yeah, but limitations. And so limits are a gift, right? Just like Steve said on our podcast, limits can be a gift. Right. (laughs) Having pain (laughs) can be a gift. (laughs) Right. That the limits are part of what makes us human, that we are not expanding at this exponential rate or just how we are. And even that Ray Kurzweil was talking about in his book about how like we would get to this point where we could download sets of skills. So he writes, he says, there is only so much room in our skulls. So although Einstein played music, he was not a world-class musician. Picasso Mm -hmm. did not also write great poetry and so on. So he says, as we recreate the human brain, we will not be limited in our ability to develop each skill. We will not have to compromise one area to enhance another. So this thought of mm-hmm. downloading, like how we download an app, look, I want to play guitar, so I'm going to download. But then you're like, is that really what we want here? That yeah. you just download and have the skill? Yeah. Where's the commu- their need for community then, right? Like right. there's always been a dependence on community. Like humans are essentially a herd animal, right? We have our herd that we rely on. We have our community that we rely on. And Again, like from a Christian worldview, we need each other. We need each Mm -hmm. other's skills. We need each other's gifts. We weren't all made the same, thank goodness, because how boring would the world be? So when you think of the fact that we could just download all these skills and we could all do these things, well, what makes you different? What makes you unique? Why would you need to see your neighbor down the street or even have a use for your children or your husband? Because you are completely autonomous. You're essentially a post-human where your capabilities radically exceed that of what it would be if you were a human. But there's so much beauty in being a human. There's beauty in being a little bit weak in not being able to do everything and to being able to look at others and be like, wow, you have an amazing skill that's really useful. And I have this skill and we could put them together and do something great. But instead we become our own individual, we become our God essentially. Right. And even when you look at that good morning, bio digital thing that I read, everything was based on her. Could you imagine all of your bodily functions and levels were reported to you each day? We are all obsessed with ourselves to a degree already. Could you imagine if we were our own everything all the time and all of the data we were receiving were for our good and everything was about ourselves? what a disaster, what a disaster, a self-centered world that would be. And we're trying to teach our kids to be good in community and to love others well. Mm. Well, when the focus becomes all about self, Mm -hmm. how can we even teach our kids that we are to love others because we're too busy loving ourselves? Think Mm -hmm. about what brings you the greatest joy in your life. You know, the things you're good at. And like Cecily is a beautiful singer. She leads worship at her church. And she's, I I love when she occasionally will send me a song or something. And I am an awful singer. Like I feel sorry for the people that sit in front of me at church because I'm so bad. And how much would I enjoy your singing? You know, like you said, community, how much would I enjoy that if I also could download something and make myself a good singer? But There is a degree of this that already exists. I just saw an artist complaining on social media, and I shouldn't say complaining because it was a legitimate complaint, but Mm -hmm. um, addressing the fact that there's already ability now for anyone to create art with this new like chat AI. They can create art. And he was saying, you know, this is not art. There's still a need for real artists, but it's sort of eliminated the joy in his profession, right? And the need for his profession. There's talk about now, like, should these works of art by AI, do they have a right to copyright? You know, like these are actual discussions that are happening. So when we think of Sophia, the robot gaining citizenship and all the rights that come along with it in Saudi Arabia, while women in Saudi Arabia still have very little rights. Now, (laughs) now we're thinking of like AI can absolutely create there's worship songs now being written. Like I will be sent songs like worship songs written by AI or art by AI. And it's like, now we're talking about, can this be copyrighted? Is it protected? Is it protected Mm. art? Well, if it is protected, which is the debate that's going on, then is that what classifies as personhood? Again, this is why Mm. worldview is important. Can that classify you or not you? Again, see, I'm giving a human pronoun to an AI thing, does that classify it as being 
a person. These are the questions that people right. are. And a person has a soul. With. That's the answer. There yes, we go. That's the answer. Yeah. The yeah. answer is that. But you mm-hmm. see that it just becomes this really tricky thing. And mm-hmm. whoever is doing the things is making it alluring for us, which is like, hey, look, you know, I want to leave worship. I want to sing as good as that person. It's, it's alluring. But then you take out that whole part of growth, you know, like the things that you have learned to do, whether that's bake or you do your sourdough or your gardener or, mm-hmm. you know, you play an instrument, all these things, you, you're a woodworker, you have this growth and then you have these moments where you get it and you've arrived and you're good at something and you become a master and you mm-hmm. learn other things. It's like, well, that's all taken away if you can just download it like an app yes. and yeah. that's all gone. But this is what's being promoted as like, oh, wouldn't it be cool? And it's hitting that sense, maybe a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of just, you know, want, I, I want more, I want to be better, I want, I want, I want. So it's hitting all these primal needs while also infusing control. So it's mm-hmm. a lot going the on. The other thing is, will we even care that we don't right. have the joy anymore? Because once we've allowed something else into our conscious, are we going to care? And are we going to be in control of our thoughts enough to care? Or will that care be eliminated by right. the technology? Because this is all... Hmm. This is not separate. The biodigital and transhuman agenda is not separate from other agendas like the climate agenda and all of that. Those things are married together Uh by the non-governmental organizations that are kind of overseeing this. And so when you look at who's controlling and who's trying to bring this technology to us, you have to understand the larger agendas at play and know that potentially some of our ability to think through this, if we do take it up, will be eliminated to benefit the things that they say they want to benefit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, and Rita, you said like, will we care? Will we have the ability Mm -hmm. to care, right? But also not only will we have the ability to care just from like a technological point, but also from the, again, addiction to the comfort that we now have Mm -hmm. addiction. Like I hate my phone most of the time, but I've still drawn to it. You know what I mean? Like that's just the way we are like with technology. It's the way we are. So when I, Ginny, you have a book coming out later this year, right? What's it called? Until the streetlights come on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't, I feel like it couldn't be more timely. It's so interesting because we changed our lifestyle. It's been in 2011 is when we changed our lifestyle to spend more time outside. It was just so that I wouldn't lose my mind with young kids at that point. But (laughs) over the last more than a decade, I've learned that just spending time outside, it helps with whole child development. So it hits all of the different things. But more than that, now in this rapidly changing world, it's giving our kids also opportunities to work on grit and resilience and flexibility and adaptability and all of those types of things that a rapidly changing world requires. But Mm -hmm. then even more than that, now in this sort of first and last, it's like our kids, we have to give them an opportunity to have analog parts of life so that I mean, they're going to be the ones that are making the decisions in 10, 15 years. It is not that far down Yikes. the road. <laughs> yep. And so there's that component. There really is a lot to it. There's more to it than I ever imagined when we first started spending more time outside. And yeah. I think it's partially because our world has changed so much. But mm-hmm. our kids have to have that knowledge in their bodies, in their minds, in That's their right. souls that life is meant to be lived and mm-hmm. not through a screen. And so mm-hmm. the joys and the pains and the limitations and all of that are beautiful. And mm-hmm. if they're only outside for four to seven minutes, but they're on screens for four to seven hours, they are not getting that concept. I, th- I think there's no way that they can be throughout their childhood. So mm-hmm. I think to wrap it up, I mean, this is a big conversation, but I just love to ask is to break the spell. Neil Postman, mm-hmm. 1983. If you're looking sort of for the philosophy, it's a great one. Read it with a group of friends. It's a fascinating book. It's pretty quick read. And Ray Kurzweil's got the information on the other end where you can have your eyes open to the nanobots that they want to put in your bloodstream and Elon Musk Neuralink with all of the things that are going to attach to billions of different what synapses and all that stuff. Just to sort of be aware, you can go back to the Boom Clap podcast and I'll make sure I link to the two episodes that you sent to me because the one of them had a link to a bunch of really interesting articles, including mm-hmm. if people are going to read the whole thing, this bio digital mm-hmm. letter. Good morning, biodigital. It's super interesting. But there was other interesting articles that you linked to as well, like backpacks for dragonflies. Yeah, Yeah, that's real. That's real. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Backpacks for dragonflies and trying to 
there was a lot of things there that you think, okay, it said honeybees, this is what it said. Honeybees could be equipped with Draper's technology to assist with pollination. You know, you're like, yeah. no, I don't know about that. You Do know, they need the help, like really, <laughs> right? But but it's worded in such a way that these insects would be basically having on these teeny backpacks that mm-hmm. would have steering neurons <laughs> that attach to their spinal cord. I mean, it's oh, in, it's okay. called Dragonfly. It's a whole yeah. It's a whole company. So. Through your podcast, people can find those different articles just to be aware. But as a parent, the two things that are evident to me are comfort is not the main goal. Mm -hmm. Besides teaching worldview, right? That's incredibly important. That would be a top Mm -hmm. thing. But beyond that, in these sort of contexts, is not falling into that comfort trap and also not falling into a virtual reality for the majority of our time, right? So we, we need to use our technologies. You two met through technology. We've now met through technology. So there's good parts of it, but just, you know, striving for that balance. Is there anything you wanted to add at the end? Any sort of final thoughts about, and then I have a last question. Okay. Um, No, I don't really think there's anything I want to add. I think we touched on a lot. How about you, Rita? I mean, there's so much we could get into. Oh, I know. That's why it's hard to like, if I add anything, it'll just. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, for the sake of not going a completely different direction. No. Thank you for having us. I've got 14 pages of notes here just from, I mean, and we touched on, I don't know, like it's such a small part of it, Mm -hmm. but um, just the conversation, it's a conversation starter and something to be aware of. Because like I said, I wasn't totally aware of it until I read that book by Mm -hmm. Nicholas Carderas. It just came out last year called Digital Man where it started to clear things up like why is this actually happening I guess I would just would just say don't think of just this as robots don't just think about it going from human to robot understand that there's a lot of little pieces to this going on in the world right now so don't be afraid to look at this thinking you're just going down some sci-fi rabbit trail it's very real and there are little things happening already that are leading us down this pike so just that's a don't be point. afraid and don't think you're crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. or that you're going to be the crazy lady for looking into uh, yeah. transhumanism and, and <laughs> as a starting point. So, <laughs> well, and I would just add to that and don't worry, Jenny, this won't be long. I realized we went this whole episode without giving people like a definition of what transhumanism is. Because if you haven't been looking into it, like we do, right, then maybe it's mm-hmm. like, well, is that like someone who's like beyond human, like a post-human? Basically what transhumanism is, is it's an intermediary transition between human and future humans. So things like brain chips, right? Like things that augment our capabilities in any way that take us beyond human. That's what transhumanism is. It's not necessarily a destination, right? It's like, it's a large arc. And so that's when you look at it that way, that's how you know it's it's happening. And you think of evolution, it's always been a naturally guided process. Like microevolution has always been a naturally guided process. And basically what transhumanism is doing is it's seeking to take that from a natural process to a human guided evolution. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Interesting things. I'm glad we yeah. talked about it. Here's how we always end our podcast, which is a kind of a, a light, a much lighter end. Uh, what is a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Oh, my favorite thing to do when I was a kid. I actually just said this to Rita like yesterday or the day before. I was talking about how I was a big loner when I was a kid just by choice. I enjoyed being alone. I enjoyed being outside. Just spending time either with my horse in the stable or up a tree. Like I would go climb a tree with a guitar in my hand and a Bible. And I miss the capability of being able to do that. Like it was no big deal. (laughs) And I would do that all the time. I I spent half my childhood up a maple tree in my front yard. So that is my favorite memory that and climbing the mountain that's just down the road here. We spent a lot of time there. Yeah. Um, My favorite memory, I really enjoyed walking in the woods and exploring in the woods a lot, but I would say my ultimate favorite memory, and I'm so glad I didn't know that you did this at the end as a question because it popped in my head so vividly and almost choked me up. But my favorite memory was at my grandparents. I would go and help with chores a lot outside uh, with the pigs. He had a hog farm, a small hog farm. And when I was done at night, walking in, they had a walkout basement and there was kind it was kind of on a hill. And I would just walk out there and I would stand there for, I don't know, a couple minutes to 10 minutes and just look at the stars Mm -hmm. and imagine what my life was going to be like when I was grown up. And I don't know, that's my my favorite memory being outside, just looking up at the stars and knowing 
so much possibility was there. Yeah. And that juxtaposition of hard work. I think yes. that's the thing. Yep. And and Linda McGurk talks about that. She has a book out called The Open Air Life. She's got a couple of books, but that's her newest one. And she says, look, like, you know, there's nothing better than being outside. And, and you know, it's like we all get this, especially Cecily up in Canada. It's like, you know, you, you go outside and you're freezing in the winter <laughs> and there's nothing better than coming mm -hmm. into a warm bowl of soup or some hot chocolate totally. or a roaring fire. Mm -hmm. But you don't get one without the other. And totally. you don't get that. And you talked about that earlier, Rita. It's like you don't get that joy. You don't get that fulfillment without having that other piece of it and so we have to be leery I think of what's being sold to us that's mm -hmm. you know a yeah. big thing because they're playing on what our emotions are what our kind of draws are and what seems like it would be great but the promise mm -hmm. comes with peril that's what they say so yeah. Thank yeah, you so much good. for being here. This has been a super interesting conversation. Maybe we'll come back to it at some point, but mm -hmm. people can definitely further by going to the Boom Plat podcast. I'll link in the show notes, which are the two podcast episodes that you have that specifically deal with this. And then they can also check your website. You can check the boomclapcommunity.com. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Jenny. Thanks. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes Unsticking life sucks. Unsticking